Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Thanks, Nick. When I was praying this morning, I was reminding myself to not lean on the Mercy Commons music stand because I'm a preacher who leans on a pulpit. And when I got you, I saw this is a serious pulpit. Well done. Uh, And I'm going to lean to my heart's delight. This is fantastic. And I hope that you lean in. I'm going to have my wife come and uh, read the text. This is Renelle, for those of you who don't know, my more beautiful half. There we go. I'm going to move this forward because he's going to step onto the communion. (laughs) Today we're reading from John 21, verse 15 through 23, if you want to turn there with me. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he will remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Thanks, love. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I don't know what it is, but I cannot bring myself to regurgitate sermons for moments like this that I've preached before. And Nick has given me liberty to do that. But... um, I have not preached this message before, although I've read this incredible text a number of times before, but um, I just felt the Lord prompt me, and, and Nick had asked, just preach on leadership broadly. And uh, I love the way this passage starts, because it just says, when they had finished breakfast. And I just want to say, it is, isn't it amazing that the risen Christ, who had just trampled death, and crushed sin, disarmed the devil, made a public spectacle of him, now makes breakfast. (laughs) Fish and bread, in the coals, around the fire, beachside scene. It's, It's so humble, it's so domestic, and he is living his message. He is shepherding his flock, even though he's a resurrected king. I think great things happen around the breakfast table, don't you? My mom and dad 
would, would talk to me and my brother and sister often around the breakfast table. My, my father had a strange, still does has, have strange taste. He would have toast with peanut butter and apple um, and uh, syrup. It was very strange. My, my mom would normally have a big cup of sort of bad Folgers coffee uh, with a uh, a rusk, which is like a healthy biscotti dunked in, and we would be having our fruity pebbles or whatever it is. And uh, they would talk to us about Jesus and the church. And when I think back, it's in, in my latter teen years that it, it feels like Jesus grew a love for the church around that breakfast table. And I think there's something like that happening here in this domestic setting with fish and bread. Jesus begins to talk to Peter, but with his disciples there, about what it is to shepherd the flock. And I just want to spend some time trying to translate that for us because it's, it's foreign, isn't it? Um, Probably the closest thing to kind of sheep that we get is kind of the, the woolen lined denim jacket that that guy's wearing. You know, it's like in our postmodern, semi-urban, um, suburban kind of high-tech world, the, 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 the idea of, of the people of God being sheep and leaders being shepherds is, is foreign. I was recently in India doing an eldership installation in the North Hills of Missouri, which is a very pastoral setting, and, and there the two elders were given literal shepherd's staffs, and it just communicated so easily because people, people heard flocks there. But, but here, it's like it, it gets lost in, in translation, doesn't it? And so what are we to learn about the uniqueness of God's people as a flock and God's leaders as shepherds under Jesus the the chief shepherd. What, what does it have to say to our contemporary American version of church, which is so often sort of CEO and a company? What's unique uh, about it? Perhaps the most prominent metaphor that God uses in the Old Testament for describing his relationship with his people was a shepherd to a flock. Between God and, and Israel, uh, Psalm 95, for he is our God and we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Israel was fed and led and guarded as a flock by the Lord, their shepherd. And when Israel asked God for a king, he ultimately looked for a shepherd. Not like the other Gentile kings. And he found David a literal shepherd who penned that 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And Psalm 72 says, and David the king shepherded the people of Israel with integrity of heart and skill of hand. There was something unique about this king who would reflect God the shepherd to his people. And, and when the prophets described Israel's sin, they described it as sheep going astray. Isaiah 53, for all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. And that foreshadowed that Jesus, the fulfillment of this shepherd metaphor, would be the only shepherd 
who died as a lamb. On him was laid the sin of all of us stray sheep. He died in our place as the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. And then in John 10, Jesus describes himself, I am the good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep. Sheep know my voice. And Acts 20, that this flock was purchased by Jesus. And so what do we draw from, from this little moment of, of teaching? I think the first big idea is that, that the resurrected Christ gives shepherds to his flock as a gift of grace. He's conquered death, disarmed the devil. And, 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 and you would think he would be talking in military terms. I mean, he's just done a military thing. He, and now he might talk about the army. Okay, we've got a mission. We, we're an army. But actually, the good shepherd still, post-resurrection, keeps using the flock metaphor. And, and it's, it's very important because he's talking to a man who is a swashbuckling, front-footed leader who is going to lead this army on mission. Uh, we know Peter cut off the Roman soldier's ear. That was his tendency. I'm sure he was an Enneagram 8 with a 7 wing. You know what I'm saying? It's like that was the guy. I mean, he, he lived with his foot in his mouth, uh, acted before he thought and spoke before he thought. It was like, you know, aim, shoot before you think. It, it, it was that sort of thing. And here, Jesus just keeps on with the sheep-shepherd metaphor. And he, he reinstates Peter three times from his three times denial. This, this shepherd is just so full of, of grace. Peter, the self-assured, prideful denier, the one who over-promised and under-delivered. And you know what, what had happened was that Jesus prophesied that Peter would deny. And, and Peter said, well, all of the disciples might deny, but not me, Lord. And now he's asking this sort of pointed question, do you love me more than these? Because you said you did. <laughs> and you overpromised and underdelivered. But there's such a grace for every denial. There is a reinstatement. Isn't it amazing that Jesus does not only pardon us, he reinstates us. And very often we'll use the very point of our weakness as a point of ministering to others. Jesus said, Satan has asked you, asked me if he may sift you like wheat, Peter. In other words, you, you're going to be tested and you're going to be found wanting. And then he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail you. I mean, your testimony failed, but that your faith would not fail you. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. In other words, the very point of weakness in Peter, the Lord would use now to strengthen others. And I think this is so important that this, this gift of the shepherd is a gift of grace because Peter was commissioned not in a moment of strength, but in a moment of great weakness. Do you love me more than these? And he doesn't even know how to answer properly. He just says, well, 
Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He's lost his swagger. And it would seem that that's actually the very thing that qualifies him. What's unique about leadership in, in the church is that there is a high bar of qualification. This is not just anyone qualifies. The shepherd loves his sheep too much to just have anyone. There's a high bar of qualification. We've just read it in 1 Peter 5. But ultimately, the qualification is grace. Grace. And Jesus' flock would need caring, feeding, tending to. It's an amazing thing if you think of this idea of a shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. It's, it's inefficient. There's, there's no metric for sitting and listening and empathizing and encouraging and praying. At a members meeting, you, you don't have a metric for that. But that's actually what Jesus wants shepherds to do. Jesus is in the business of turning cowards into caregivers. Why? Because if leaders are going to tend to lambs, they must have experienced weakness themselves. Chris and Gabby, you are a power couple. You are what I've called yesterday a, a triple threat in the best sense of the word uh, because you are powerful in the marketplace. You are superb in mercy and justice. You have a strategic administrative gift. And plus, you've, as we've said, developed a strength of character and humility that can carry the competence in you. And I just want to say, Monica and other family members, this is partly due to you. You, you have parented so well, and we are the beneficiaries of, of that. You have qualified in many ways, but take note, this call is a call of grace. Peter was called by grace, and Chris, you are also called by grace. Chris and Gabby are commissioned by grace. Both are strong and faithful, but you do not have to be strong at every turn. You do not. Disappointment and, and frailty and, and delay are never wasted for the shepherd. Because this is the very thing that enables you to walk patiently, compassionately, and with empathy with lambs. That you've experienced these things too. You can only extend grace... When you've received grace, you can only extend tenderness when you've received tenderness. And this is exactly what was happening in this passage, that Jesus was extending a tender grace to Peter that he was then to extend to others. Shepherds can only tend and feed if the flock receives them with grace. So the, the call is by grace, but actually receiving them is by grace. And, and now I want to talk briefly to you because one of the qualifications for a shepherd that's so unique is that they are not 
overbearing and domineering. In other words, in the church, you can't force people to follow. You can't just fire them if they don't cooperate. We, we, we know, those of us that have studied unique Jewish shepherding, is that the shepherd was not behind with a stick. He was in front, leading by example. And this idea of actually receiving a shepherd by grace cuts to the heart of our individualistic, pull ourselves by, up by our bootstraps, self-sustaining culture. Because let's just think about this. God calls his people in a church a flock of sheep, which is mildly insulting. He's essentially saying, if shepherds are to feed and tend, Jesus is saying, I love you, but you're not as good as you think you are. You cannot feed yourself. You cannot tend to yourself. The flock motif tells us that as we follow Jesus, we need more than just Jesus. You say, you're a heretic. I'm saying ultimately, ultimately we need Jesus. But Jesus, in his love for us, says, you need other sheep and other shepherds to flourish. And that requires humility. That requires grace. That requires that we give up our invictus complex. I am the captain of my soul, the master of my destiny. It prods at our attempts to be self-sustaining. It prods at our tendency to cook up our own spiritual diet of our favorite preachers, podcasts, books, conferences, blogs, and asks, will you allow your shepherds to set your primary meal plan? Now, I'm talking to a room full of very smart people, and don't hear what I'm not saying. We do read. We do listen. We do study. But very often, as shepherds, it's a really difficult thing to have people that arrive, none of you, I'm sure, that arrive on Sunday or at Life Group, and you've prepared to feed them and tend to them. And it's like they're so full of all their own feeding. There's no appetite. It's like when my teenage kids have a bowl of Fruity Pebbles 30 minutes before dinner. I'm not hungry, mom. No, no, no. That's the wrong stuff. Why should you listen more closely to your shepherds who are gifted but might be less gifted than your favorite preacher, favorite author, favorite podcaster. Why should you listen more closely to them? I'll tell you why. Because if you call them at 3 a.m. in the morning, they will come running. If you call your favorite preacher, he will call you a stalker and call the cops. <laughs> and this is the principle that, that we've lost is, is Jesus says, my, sh my sheep know my voice and I lay down my life for them. And I'm not getting cultish here. We, of course, listen and read broadly. But actually, we say, these are the men, these are the women who will lay down their life for me. I will listen more closely to them. It requires humility for people to acknowledge, I'm a sheep. I cannot tend to myself. I'm made with sheep needs for other sheep and 
and a shepherd. I, I saw an article this week about this New Zealand merino sheep called Shrek who ran away from his shepherd for four years hid in a cave. And here is a picture of Shrek after four years. It's crazy, isn't it? That Shrek, true story. For four years, he, he, he ran away. He didn't want to be tended to and hid in a cave. And this is what happened when Shrek allowed the shepherd to tend. They got 60 pounds of wool. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? This is one of the principles of leadership in the church is that when we run away from the flock and run away from the shepherd, hear me out. When the Bible talks about a lone sheep, it talks about a sheep in danger. It talks about a dead sheep. And what happens is when we separate from the flock and we separate from the shepherds, we pick up burdens that we should not be carrying. And it requires humility and grace and trust to come back and say, I need tending to. I'm carrying something that is too heavy for me. Renelle and I have been doing premarital for a wonderful couple in the life of the church who about two years ago followed each other on Instagram, really liked the look of each other, hooked up that night, and she fell pregnant. They were not Christians. But a sister invited them to Southlands. I've still not met the sister yet. I don't know who she is, but I thank her. And they arrived, and the Lord met with them, and we baptized them both about six months ago. Now they have a baby, and they come to us. They say, will you help us to understand what it is to be a husband and wife? And I mean, all his friends were just saying, just leave her. It's just one night. And he, he felt this conviction. No, I must, I must be a man. I must tend to her, and I must be a father. And so we're doing this premarital, and initially the, the, the date is set for about six months. And they come to us a couple, couple of months ago just saying, we want to push the date out a year. I just say, why? And he says, well, we're saving up for that dream dress with the dream venue. And we had to sit and just say, how can we help you have a dream wedding for free? Like in our lobby. And I'm sure someone can give you a dress and it won't be quite as good as that dream dress. But we want to help like take off some unnecessary burdens. And can we move the wedding date further towards you? Which we have. That's, that's something of kind of a lame example. But, but ways in which shepherds are trying to take inordinate burdens off people that requires humility so the first big idea is that God gives the gift of grace of the shepherd to the people of God it needs to be received by grace and especially if you've been hurt by leaders that have lorded over over you it's hard to receive that if you get hurt in the flock the only way to heal is back in the flock and I want to say, this is not a perfect shepherding team, but man, they are good men and women. They will tend to you. The litmus test of our love for Jesus is our love for the flock. So this is moving beyond the shepherd and sheep relationship, but just saying flock dynamics. Flock dynamics is 
Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, if you do a little bit of Greek, bear with me, Mr. Greek. But the first time Jesus says, do you love me? He uses the word agapas, which means the, the, the God kind of covenantal love. And Peter responds, he's clever. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. In other words, phileo is, is more like an affectionate brotherly kiss. Uh, so, so, so do you love me with a God covenant love? Well, I feel affectionate towards you. Why? Because he's lost his self-assurance. And then Jesus even downscales it the third time and says, do you phileo me? In other words, do you even feel affection to me? And at that point, Peter is so grieved. It's like, you don't even think I I like you? I mean, I might not love you, but I don't even like you. And Jesus is being redemptive. Essentially, he's saying, Peter, do you love me? I I think you do. I think you do. But here's the way you show that you love me. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. In other words, if you love me, love my flock. Very often in the church, people who are trying to show a more superior love for Jesus than others do it in a way that loves people less. So we think love for Jesus would be like singing loud and praying long and having long solitude times up the mountain. You know, I'm feeling kind of burnt out on community and stuff and all the static of people. So I just need to get away, just Jesus and me. I mean, I'm for solitude. But here, here, come to find out that proving we love Jesus more than people is not done by loving people less. It's actually done by loving people more. You say, well, what's Jesus' love language? Love, love the flock. Our vertical love for the shepherd is proven horizontally towards the flock. And John the beloved echoed that. Beloved, love one another. This is how you know that you love God, that you love one another. I can just imagine these other disciples as Peter's being reinstated, just going like, no, we don't want that guy to shepherd us. He's like a bull in a china shop. But, but, but actually, even though there'd been rubbing and, and friction, Jesus was changing Peter to be more humble and more gentle. Once we grasp Christ's deep affection for the church, we cannot help but begin to share it. And when we express love for Jesus by tending to other sheep, we find that our sheep needs are taken care of. This speaks to the common cultural thing of, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual, but, but I'm not religious. In other words, me and Jesus, but not all this kind of organized church. Or otherwise, I really love Jesus. I really struggle with the church. And, and compassion, because the church can hurt. Sheep can bite. And shepherds can domineer. 
But we have to understand love for Jesus cannot be separated from love for his people. In fact, to bring it home, to change the metaphor, Jesus doesn't just call his people his flock. He calls himself the bridegroom and them the bride. Sam Albury in his book, book Why Bother with Church, says, if you want to understand how committed Jesus is to the church, he has your answer. He doesn't just create it and let it be. He marries it. Church is not his hobby. It's his marriage. You say, Alan, I, I really dig you. I want to hang out with you, but I've got a problem with your wife. No one has ever said that. <laughs> but if you did, I would just say, I, I've got a problem with you. Problem with you. We need just to come back to the shepherd and just say, please won't you fill me with agapow, the God kind of covenantal love. Because all of us run out of love for the sheep at some point, don't we? And the amazing thing is, because all of us have got sheep needs, when we actually tend to other sheep needs, whether we are official leaders or not, we find our own sheep needs being taken care of. There's a guy, some of you know him, who took four years to become a Christian. He came through Neil's gym. He's a Jewish man. And he had been persecuted by Christians. In Orange County, in Placentia, so-called Christians had planted a burning cross in his front lawn. Can you believe it? And I sat with him on Monday night with 18 new men in the life of the church. And this guy became a Christ-following Jesus-loving Jew three years ago. And he said this. He said, it took four years for people to love me to faith in Jesus. And he started naming some of the names, and some of those are you sitting here. And he said, and then, because we're a church that plants churches, some of the men who loved me left me. And he said, for quite a while, I got very grumpy because my sheep needs were not being taken care of. And he says, I was sitting in a meeting one day and the Spirit began to speak to me and saying, said, Ryan, the love that you received, now you need to give. And he said, I've called this meeting outside Whole Foods on camping chairs because I received so much love and you need it and I'm here to give it to you. I was like, oh Lord, he should be preaching this. Oh Lord, teach us to tend to the needs of others. Finally, Jesus catalyzes mission in the flock by helping us to get secure in his unique grace for us. This passage needs a whole sermon, but we now turn to Peter and John who have this competitive relationship. In John 21, they're racing each other to the tomb. John, who's writing and saying, I'm the disciple that Jesus really loves. And now Jesus is having a discussion on the beach with Peter, and he turns around, and John is following, eavesdropping on their conversation. And Peter is saying, Jesus is saying to Peter, when you were young, you, you dressed yourself just like you wanted to, like in a denim sheepskin jacket, like cool, you know, like, like you, all of you are. But there'll be a moment when someone else will dress you when you're older. 
and they will lead you somewhere where you do not want to go. And he was talking about his martyrdom. Peter was crucified upside down by request in Rome for Jesus. And Jesus was prophesying this. And Peter in a moment, having just been forgiven and reinstated, turns around to the eavesdropping disciple and says, what about him? (laughs) And Jesus just says, what is that to you if he should not die? What is that to you? You follow me. If, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This gracious, pardoning, fish-providing, reinstating shepherd is now quite uncompromising. What about him? What about him? Essentially what Jesus is saying is, we're a flock, but every single one of us have a unique call from our shepherd. It's not like your husband. It's not like your best friend. It's not like your wife. It's not like your girlfriend. We do it together, but actually there's a unique call and there's a unique grace for that call. And when we get into the curse of comparison, we actually miss the grace that Jesus has for us, the unique grace. Now, Jesus is talking about mission. He's talking about what Peter and John would do in taking the gospel to regions beyond. And essentially, he's saying, yeah, Peter, it's not fair, is it? You're going to be crucified, and he's not. Jesus is not fair, but he is good. And for each one of you, you have got a unique call and a unique grace package that corresponds with it. And I want to plead with you as you move with the flock, That you stop comparing and stop saying, they've got it easier than me. Why are they married and I'm not? Why are they wealthy and I'm not? Why have they become elders and I'm not? Why do they get to preach on this team and and I don't? Why have they got a better job than me? All of us wrestle with these things and the shepherd loves us and is for us, but he is so intent that we do not miss His unique package of grace for us. He says to each of us, what is that to you? You follow me. And the one who provided so liberally with this massive fish breakfast, 153 fish, surely he can liberally provide a grace package for you and I to follow him. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would use today to draw this flock together in unity. For shepherds to walk with fresh, humble authority. For sheep to receive shepherds with grace. And for men and women to follow you together without the curse of comparison. Lord, I thank you that even as we break bread today and respond in worship, you have a unique grace package for us, for our race. Some people are following you with a very difficult race. Others, Lord, the wind is at their backs. But for all of us, 
There is unique grace. And so I pray that you would minister to your people. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.